Very good to see everyone out this evening. Uh, thank you for your presence. If you consider yourself a visitor here this evening, you are most welcome. And anytime you would like to come back and worship with us, you will be most welcome. Thank you very much for being here. It's been a wonderful day. Had a good service this morning, great singing. Had wonderful studies throughout the day. Uh, it's been a true blessing. And uh, I wanted to take this time to thank you all for your wonderful hospitality that you've shown us while we've been here, for feeding us and uh, loving us and taking care of us. We sure appreciate it. We always enjoy being here with you, brothers and sisters in Christ. For a little while this evening, I want to study about Joseph. <laughs> we might have to go old, old school style. Okay. Now, the story of Joseph, we're going to be spending most of our time in Genesis uh, the story that we're going to be referring to is there in chapters 37 and then again in th chapters 39 through 50. Now don't worry, we're not going to cover all that stuff. But I, I really would like to recommend to you to spend some time, spend some time in these scriptures. Because there's many, many lessons to be learned from, from these passages. But we're going to concentrate on a couple this evening. Uh, for time's sake. Might be dead, bro. <laughs> Got it? Okay. So uh, what we're going to be studying about this evening is sin and the nature of it, the different characteristics of it. We're also going to study about how Joseph dealt with these things. And we're told over and over in Scripture that Joseph uh, was a friend of God, or was, you know, God, he was a mad, godly man. And uh, what, what that tells me is that he was a humble man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Here we go. The first things that were told about Joseph there in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 2 says, This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So basically what we're told is Joseph was 17 years old. And he went out and was watching his older brothers and came back and told on them. He told mom and dad about them. And I'm sure that we can all relate to that. If you've got siblings, you can relate to that. I was the oldest of three. And my younger brother and sister told on me all the time. And I got wore out many, many times, which I deserved. 
So that's the first thing we're told about Joseph. And then in verse 3, the scripture reads, Now Israel, which Israel is the name that God changed Jacob, Jacob to Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. Now, what this brings to mind to me is when I was a little kid, my mom and dad had an eight-track tape. I don't know if y'all, you probably don't know what that is. It was a cassette tape about this big. And mom and dad would plug this cassette tape in on the way to church, and it was Dolly Parton. And she sang this song about the coat of many colors, which is very, very loosely based on the scripture, but... Can you imagine a father that had that much care and love for his son that he would take the time to to make him a coat of many colors? He loved this boy very much. Then in verse 4, the scripture reads, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him peaceably. His older brothers hated him because they could see that their father loved him so much. Now, at this time, Joseph, this young man, Joseph, had two dreams. And in these dreams, he, bowed, he, he dreamed that his older brothers bowed down to him. And I'm sure that you older siblings would probably not take that very well if your younger sibling told you that you were going to bow down to them. But he had these dreams nonetheless, And there in verse 11, the scripture reads, And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. Now, one of the characteristics we want to look at concerning sin is this. Sin multiplies. Unrepented of sin multiplies. It does not just stay stagnant. There in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 3, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Unrepented of sin does not exist in a vacuum. It breeds more sin. Now, there in the New Testament, in Galatians, you're probably familiar with this, uh, dissertation about sin. Now I want you to think about these different things. Uh, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just I also told you in times past that these Those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want you to think about these things. And have you ever known somebody that was entrenched in one of these sinful activities? Did it ever just stay that one thing? Did it ever just stay that one sin? Because I've never seen that. And in my own life, when I've struggled with some of this stuff, it never stayed just that one sin when I didn't repent of it and turn my back on it. You know, I had had a tendency when I was a young man to get drunk. Now, that went unrepented of. 
So what do you think happened? Well, other sins rose up. Rose up like weeds. And I started liking to brawl and strike. And, and this stuff just keeps multiplying. That's the nature of sin when it's unrepented of. Let me get back to the story of Joseph here. Now, the, father, uh, the daddy, Israel, Jacob, he sends Joseph out to the field to check on his older brothers, see how they're doing. The Scripture reads there in 37 and 18, that when they saw him afar off, even before, the, before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, can you imagine sitting there and conspiring with your brother or sister to kill your younger sibling? That's what these men are doing. There in verse 19, Then they said one to another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast hath devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's kill our baby brother. Can you imagine that? Now, I had a little brother. And he was old enough that we used to fist fight. Like, I mean, we, we fought all the time when we were kids. I'm going to tell you something. There were many, many days that I did not like my little brother. But I can't imagine this. Can't imagine it. How far this has gone. So they see him coming. They hatch a plan to kill him. They take daddy's coat off of him and they chunk him in a pit. And then they sit around and start having a bite to eat to talk about how they're going to do this. Now Genesis 37 and 36, the scripture reads, So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let... Not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. So, they decided not to kill him. Good for them, right? They're just going to sell him into slavery now. You see how this is going? Moving from one sin to another, when it's unrepented of. Hatred, jealousy, conspiracy to commit murder, and then man-stealing. Sending a brother into slavery. That's the nature of sin. So they do this thing. They're in Genesis 37 and 31. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the coats, and dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. You see, they, they devised this lie. This lie to cover up what they had done. And they sold it to their father. There in verse 34, well, in 33, And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic, and a wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his waist and mourned his sons for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. 
Thus his father wept for him. They told this lie to their daddy. And he wept. Some translations say he wept unto death. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. If our son came and told me and my wife that some wild beast had devoured our daughter, I can't imagine that. But that's what these boys did. You know, Jesus speaks on hidden sin. Luke 12 and 2. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hid that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I just, why do, why do we do this? Why do we try to hide when we've wronged? Why do we try to hide things? You know, one of the most prolific sins in our world today is a sin that people think they can hide. And that's one of the reasons it's so prolific. That's the reason it's out of control. Because people think they can hide it. And every one of you know what I'm talking about. Sexual immorality. At your fingertips. And folks do it because they, they think they can keep hiding it. But you see, sins don't stay hidden. They don't. Most of the times they come out pretty quickly. And certainly before you die, most of the time. But regardless, God knows. He knows. You know, the first time I can recall doing something like this and trying to hide it, I was probably eight or nine years old, I don't know. We had a little grocery store in a little town that I used to go to in the summers with my grandma and grandpa and stay with them. And this little grocery store, you would go in there and you would get what you wanted. You would go up to the counter and he would write it all down on a big tablet. And you didn't pay no money. You would just say, this is for Red Dukes or Anna Dukes. And they'd write down what we got and you, you went. It was just one of them trust things back in the day. I remember one time I was sent up there to get a bunch of stuff as a little kid. And I was told specifically what to get and given a prohibition not to buy any candy or not to get any candy. And guess what I did? Yeah, I'm walking through there and I see one of the big old glass jars full of those one-cent bubble gums. I know y'all ain't never seen none of those either. But I reached in there and grabbed a handful of them, put them in my pocket. I don't even think I knew what stealing was at the time, but I knew I wasn't supposed to do that because I'd been told by an elder not to do that. But I did it. Now, who do you think did my laundry? The very same person that told me not to do it. It's pretty smart, huh? Yeah. You know, you can't cover it up. We can't cover it up for long. And we can never cover it up from God, the one that matters. He knows always. Another characteristic of sin, and I want just to really, really think about this. A harvest of sin. A harvest. There in Galatians 6 and 7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. 
What whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God is not mocked. He is not. You see, a lot of times we think that we're sinning and all, the only person we're hurting is ourselves. That is never true. It is not true. When we sin, everybody around us suffers because of what we do. Everyone. I don't care if we think it's a private, secretive sin that affects nobody. It hurts our family. It hurts our friends. It hurts our church. I'll give you a real simple example. It's simple. It illustrates it well for me. You've got a man who's been a drunkard, a hardcore drunkard for 30 or 40 years. And he finds the Lord. And he obeys the gospel. And he tries to walk that walk the best he can do to be a godly man. I'm going to ask you something. Does that mean his liver's not shot from drinking all that alcohol? More importantly, does it mean that his wife was not hurt terribly if he even has one anymore? Does it mean that his kids didn't see him doing that? And then made them subject to thinking it was all right to do that when they got ready to do it. I mean, the answers are evident. People suffer. There's a, there is a, there's a price to pay for our sins. Now, now granted, is that, is that man that obeyed the gospel and he's walking the walk, has he got a hope in heaven? You better believe it. But there's still a price to pay on this earth. And we're not the only ones that pays it. <clears throat> Bad things happen to good people. You know, do you think that them boys, when they took their little brother and they sold him into slavery, do you think that they were thinking about their little brother spending 20 years separated from his family? Many years as a slave... Some years as a prisoner, I don't know. Maybe they did. They probably didn't even care. Do you think they thought about the pain and misery that they were going to cause their father by doing what they did with that lie? I don't think they really thought about that. Do you think they thought about their friends and family that were going to be hurt by the idea that this little boy was dead? Do you think that they thought about having to live with a lie for years? Do you think they thought about having to come clean to their father in the future about what they had done? Well, I don't think so. Do you think that they thought about that they were going to have to fear for their lives because their little brother might kill them in revenge? No. Like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time running through these chapters. We're going to fast forward a little bit for time's sake. You know, the story of Joseph 
when he was sold into slavery, he was, he excelled. He excelled. And he gave glory to God. And God caused him to prosper. He was lied upon about cheating with a woman's, a man's wife. He was lied upon. He was sent to prison. He rose right to the top everywhere he went. He worshiped God. You know, Joseph interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he interpreted these dreams there would be seven years of plenty and set, followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh heeded his words. And then Pharaoh made him a ruler, a ruler in Egypt. Joseph was second in command in all of Egypt. Pharaoh trusted him, and he enriched the kingdom. Now, during this seven years of famine, guess who started to starve? His family. Daddy sent them older brothers to Egypt to get food. When they arrived, those brothers did not recognize their baby brother, but Joseph recognized them. What did he do? He gave them food. He gave them food. He took care of them. These people that had sold him into slavery. Now I believe there were three trips back and forth. And on that last trip, guess who they brought with them? They brought daddy with them. <laughs> Can you imagine the reunion? The joy, man, the joy that that grown man now, that son and that father reuniting, and the family. Joseph gave his family the best land in Egypt, Goshen. And they prospered, and they multiplied. And then you know what happened? Daddy died. Daddy passed from this earth. And that's where we want to pick up our story again. There in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Now I want you to listen to how scared these brothers were. So they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, Please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. They sent messengers to smooth the way so Joseph wouldn't kill them. And then they showed up themselves. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. You know, we here today are faced with these decisions all the time. Whether to forgive or not to forgive. Probably almost on a daily basis, right? 
You know, Jesus spoke about this. Our Lord and Savior spoke about this. There in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I don't know about you, but I can really relate to Peter. How many times do I have to forgive this guy? Seven times? That ought to be enough, right? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This sum, this sum of money was greater than any man could repay in 10 lifetimes. Couldn't do it. It's an unpayable debt. But as he has not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Does that sound familiar to y'all? Because each and every person here today, other than these little babies, had or has an unpayable debt that can only be paid with death. We all have sin, except for these little babies. And that's an unpayable debt that we could not pay. But you know what? Our King, the Son of God, He paid that debt. He paid it. I want you to listen to what this servant did after he had been forgiven that debt. There in verse 28, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A very, very payable debt. Very payable. Easily payable. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. Does that sound familiar? When people wrong us, and we we set a price for them to meet, to be forgiven, and even when they meet it, we raise the bar and say, you've got to do this now. I'll forgive, but I ain't forgetting when we've been forgiven of so much. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, and he would pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if you, each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, <clears throat> this is a life and death decision. And we're not talking about this physical life. We're talking about the real death. The final death. This is irrevocable. That lasts forever if you're not saved. Separated from God. Several years ago, my wife used to uh, run the family restaurant in Panhandle, Texas. And uh, she had been managing this restaurant for a little over 12 years. It's called Panther Pizza. Most popular restaurant in the town. Um, she came home one Saturday evening after work. And my wife was bawling. Now... If you know my wife, she does not do that very much. She came home bawling, and I asked her what was wrong. The owner of that business, her father, had come in there and cussed her out and fired her. Her father. Now, the reason that this happened was because my wife had obeyed the gospel sometime before then. And her life had changed. She didn't enjoy the same jokes. She didn't enjoy the same activities that they used to all enjoy together. Sinful activities. She did not take part in that. And our family did not like it. You know, when she told me that, I went into a rage. And I'm not good in a rage. And I thought to myself, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pin him up against the wall and I'm going to grab him and I'm going to say, you will not talk that way to my wife. You will not disrespect my wife. And what's more, you will not disrespect me. You hear what I'm, you hear what I'm saying there? That's prideful, ain't it? That's what was going through my mind. I stayed up all night thinking about this and playing it through my mind how I was going to do this. And I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning to go preach in Colorado. I got up without sleeping at all, got in the truck and headed to Colorado. 
And the whole time I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to get up and preach the Word of God when I've been sitting here thinking about this all night? How can I do that? We've talked about this a lot this week, folks. Accountability partners. I felt helpless, and I reached for that phone, and I picked it up, and I said, please help me, brother. And do you know what our brother did? He led us in prayer. Do you know who he prayed for more than anybody else in that prayer? My father-in-law. The offender. You know, I hung up that phone and I realized something. All this time, this fellow had been doing similar things like this. I'd always said in my mind, I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. I'd never forgiven him. Those are just words. Those are just words. I'd never forgiven him. Not at all. What hurts worse? When somebody that you love hurts you or when a total stranger does? What hurts more? When one of your brothers and sisters in Christ offends you and hurts you? When one of your uh, family members at home hurts you? Or a complete stranger? Pretty easy to answer, ain't it? It crushes you it crushes us when people that love us hurt us. It's pretty hard, ain't it? It's a life and death decision. Matthew 6 and 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's what our Lord and Savior said. That's what the King of Kings said. It's a life and death decision. You know, I made up my mind. I was going to try my best to pray for my father-in-law. And do you know what that prayer sounded like the first several times I said it? Dear God, please bless Ralph. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Because I couldn't get it out, that's all I could say. You know that command to love our enemies? That confused me for so long. What's that even mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings for people that harm me and my family? No. That's not what the Scripture's talking about. I cannot produce that in and of myself. God has to do that. I'm a weak and frail man. And that's why he gave us those instructions. Pray for our enemies. Love them. Love them. It's an act. It's an action. Back there to Joseph. He gives them his answer. There in Genesis 50 and 19. 
These are the very brothers that tried that conspired to kill him and sold him into slavery. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am, in, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see, forgiveness is much more than just words. And it's much more than just thoughts. It's actions. Joseph forgave his brothers. He forgave his brothers and he took care of them. He loved them. The very men that had hated him and done him so much wrong. His own family. You know, uh, during COVID, Shannon's uh, dad, uh, he'd got cancer. And he beat it. There was no trace of it. And then uh, a few months later, it came back. And when it came back, it wasn't just in his bladder. It was in his lungs, his liver. His, it was all over his body. He started that second round of, of treatment for that cancer, and it knocked him down. It was killing him. And he told them doctors, I'm not taking it anymore. And he come home on hospice. Y'all know what that is. End of care, end of life care. They brought him home to his house there in Panhandle. And me and my wife, we went over there to see him. He still had his mind. He could still walk around. But man, he, looked, he was a skeleton walking around. And I went and sat down with him. I tried to share the gospel one more time, and he told me, I don't need that. I'm good with God. He said, but I want to tell you something. I love you. That's what God did. God did that. He did that. My father-in-law died the next morning. He died the next morning. But I'm going to tell you what a blessing that was just to hear that. From a man that I hadn't forgiven until the end of his life. Forgiveness is much more than words. Just like everything else we're commanded to do, as Christians, Christians don't sit on their hands. Christianity is, is, a, Christianity is a life of action. It, we're active. It's just not words. Genesis 50 and 20. Where are we going here? <laughs> Got me shook up. <clears throat> Matthew 5 and 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. 
That's what the Lord says. Love our enemies. Pray for them. Do good to them. It's an action. It's an action. It's a life and death decision. You know, we can come to church and we can come up here and play church. If we have unforgiveness, if we have ought against our brothers or sisters and we come in here to worship, how, how effective is that? Do you think God hears that? As Christians, we should seize every opportunity. Every opportunity to forgive. Everyone. Matthew 5 and 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Because the world sees Christ in us when we forgive. That's a promotion of Christ. When we forgive. Please get out your songbooks. As we close tonight, if, if you're here and you've been wronged or you've done wrong to other people, and you have not forgiven. If you're carrying that burden around with you. Let it go. Let it go. Forgive. If you have that bitter root. Of unforgiveness wrapped around your heart. And you've refused to, to forgive your mother or father or brother or sister. Or enemy. Allow God to reach in there and grab that root and pull it out. Root and stem completely. He's capable of doing it. You know what all it takes is us to be hum humbled, to humble ourselves before Him and request it. So we're going to offer this invitation. If there's anyone at all that desires the help of the church, whether it's in baptism or whether it's the presence of the church for unforgiveness or whatever, we're here for that. We're here to serve you if you'll come and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing. <laughs>